Welcome to Lions Radio Network, where the show takes you on a roaring adventure with entertaining and stimulating topics focusing on entertainment, sports, business, world news, along with many other topics. Whatever your interests are, you will find them right here on Lions Radio Network. Washington, D.C., um, where we have some of the greatest people and we've had some of the greatest guests. And I, uh, I'm really excited to have my guest today, Michael Lohan. And Michael, as you know, has uh, been in the public eye and in scrutinized and whatever you want to say. And I, and I know it's got to be so difficult when you have addiction and then recovery and how difficult that has to be for someone and uh i want to go ahead and bring him on michael are you there i am not sure what is going on but i'm gonna i'm going to call him back again because i'm having a difficulty with sound today i am not sure what is going on i had a mishap with my headset earlier and now trying to get our guests on boy it's just been crazy so i don't know if michael if you can hear me if you could call into the show that would it would totally help and it's 646-668-8494 and then we'll try it that way because for some reason we're having a lot of problems with our system today but we will see what we can do Hang tight, everyone. Welcome to the Mind Twist, a conspiracy theory radio show where we bring you some of the world's most controversial, thought-provoking, and unresolved conspiracy theories. We cut through the red tape and take a closer look at the paradoxes, evidences, and history. The harder it is to believe, the more intriguing it becomes. Let's unravel the evidence together and find what's concealed in the world's most disputed conspiracies and get to the truth, or will we? And now, get ready to have your mind twisted on Mind Twist Conspiracy Theory Radio. Everyone, and that is a show that uh, you can listen to on Fridays, so tune in. So let's see if we can get Michael on here again, because for some reason we've just been having so many difficulties today. Michael, are you there? Oh, we got hung up. I'm going to try this one more time. Michael, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh. Yes, now I can finally hear you. <laughs> there we are. Okay, you took me off so mute. I I went ahead and hit a couple promo promos, so we we uh, know some of the upcoming shows. 
Um, Michael, you've been doing a lot, uh, a lot of work. I mean, obviously, you've been in the public eye, your addiction, and I can't imagine how much more difficult that is for you, someone trying to recover and going through sobriety, being in the public eye. I, I, I mean, I can't imagine because I know how difficult it is just for a normal person that isn't in the public eye, how difficult it is. What keeps you sober every day? God. God and looking around at me and how the world is in such turmoil from addiction and you know everyone looks at this as an opioid epidemic it's not it's an addiction epidemic because I don't know if people realize this or not but more people die from alcoholism than any drug out there and in detox more people die from benzodiazepines and alcohol than than even opiates or amphetamines Um, but there's so many mischaracteristics and characterizations out there about addiction in general, even my own. I mean, look, I I never did it. I never drank or even did a drug right through college. When I got to Wall Street and, you know, everyone was drinking and going out on Friday nights, I was a weekend warrior. And that lasted from like 1981 to 1984 and I got married and all that nonsense stopped. And the next time I really drank again was in 2005 and then I swore off drinking after my car accident. But as soon as you go out there and say, hey, listen, I battled with alcohol or I went out and I, I drank and I got a DUI or if I, I did cocaine when I was a kid, right away they put you in a category that you're an addict. And that's okay. People can do that because it's led me to where I am today. But, um, I mean, I made it clear on Celebrity Rehab when I was on there that, you know, that my, my, my addiction was really more than anything codependency, and I was attracted to people that had addiction problems, so that's why I'm in the business I am today. I really want to help people. I saw what it did to my daughter, what it did to – my father was an alcoholic, um, drank beer every day, and by the grace of God, he got sober seven years before he died. But um, it, there's so much that, that can help out there that people don't know about, and I think that's why I'm here on the show with you today to really explore those things. Right, and as you know, I have a son that's an addict, and I, I, and we've talked about this in length on the phone before, uh, which I appreciate you listening to me and helping me out. Uh, you've given me great advice. I appreciate that. And you actually hooked me up with Daryl Strawberry, who's an incredible man who you work with as well. So there are these programs out there. But we do have a caller, and I want to take her because I know she's super busy, but she's working. It happens to be my cousin, um, Karen Sheehy, whose father – um, my uncle was a uh, heroin addict for, for years and got clean and sober. And, God bless him. Um, yeah, 18 years later, he died of a heroin overdose. But in the, in, in the interim of all that, he measured and saved so many men's lives, helped them. And I'm so proud of him. But, you know, it's so sad when you think about it that, um, you know, this happens. You just never know. But, um, Karen, can you hear me? I can. Can you guys hear me? Yes, yes I can. can. Karen, Karen Sheehy, Michael Lohan, I, I want to connect you two because I think you two can work really well together. Um, Karen, tell us about what you're doing. First, thank you for calling in. I'm so glad you took the time to do this. And, um, you know, like I said, I was just talking about your dad, but I really want people to know what you're doing right now because I'm so proud of you. Thank you. So I um, – I identify with what you're saying, Michael. Uh, my dad, as Donna mentioned, was a heroin addict. 
And um, I also suffered with addiction myself. Um, all throughout, similar with you, is in and out of addiction, long periods of time without it, um, but always getting back involved with it because attraction to those people that are addicts, I think because my dad was one and it's familiar yes. to me. And um, so I worked as a criminal defense lawyer for years and um, felt like I was very effective in the field, but it just, it, my heartstrings always got tugged towards my addict. And, um, and I started drinking pretty heavily um, as a criminal defense lawyer working for myself and realizing just how depressed and down I was and that I needed to stop or I was going to drink myself to death and decided to um, apply for a job um, as a drug court case manager. And Good started for you. working with addicts, yes. And so I love your answer. Um, Donna said, what keeps you sober? And your first answer was God. And I just love that because... You know, I work a 12-step program pretty seriously, and I know that is the number one um, foundation of recovery, so I appreciate that. But, yeah, I, so um, I started working for the court. They asked me to um, start a, a drug court in Vallejo, which they didn't have. They had one in Fairfield, so that was pretty easy. It was just a cut and paste of what they already had in a different location. But then three years later, they asked if I would be interested in starting a parole reentry court because my job is – predominantly grant funded and the grant money was running out. So we needed to be innovative and start something new so we could get more grant money to keep me in my position. And I said, of course, I would love that. And so I currently work right now with like 12 to 13 parolees um, who are struggling with addiction. So I get to help them um, find jobs, stay clean and sober, find housing, um, and it's been so rewarding. It's like, you know, the alarm goes off in the morning and it doesn't feel like work for me. It's, um, it's my passion. And to see somebody change, is, it's just incredible. Well, so if, if, I may, if, I, if I may interject, what you just said is so, so important. Because when people go to treatment programs, those 30 days that they take, which certainly isn't enough, the most important part is when they get out and what they do. And the biggest part that I see in relapse is complacency, when people don't have a place to go and they don't have a job. So what you're doing is one of the key components of people staying clean. It's being active, being engaged with the community, having a job, having a roof over their head, and having responsibility again and being accountable. And a lot of programs don't do that. A lot of them just have an IOP program in sober housing because they want to make money on the people in the program, and they could care less if they get a job or not. They just say, go and find a job instead of people like you helping them to find a job. So I applaud you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I love what you're doing. I think it's fantastic. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. So you said Fairfield. Fairfield where? Connecticut? No, in California. So it's okay. actually Sonoma County, which includes Fairfield, Dixon, Vallejo, Vacaville. Okay. No, I I thought Fairfield because I'm actually helping people open up a, a really amazing program in, in New Haven, Connecticut, which is by Fairfield. It's called Retreat Behavioral Health. And it's, oh, nice. we'll get more into that, but there's, there's so much more to treatment than, than people really know about. I mean, let's just explore this real quickly. So people use for a year or five years or 10 years, 
and then they go into a treatment program and they detox them for five to seven days because that's all insurance will pay for. And the truth of the matter is they're not detoxing five to seven days because on alcohol and benzos, it could take weeks before they detox. So they're going into a program into whether it's it's residential or or PHP, partial hospitalization, and they're getting treatment for another three weeks to a month. Do you really think people are going to recover from years of addiction and their brain actually heal in that amount of time? No. It's not going to happen. No. So, right. so the aftercare program, when they're released, is really important in continuing that, that treatment protocol. I mean, if we did have 90-day programs, and, and the reason why I said God at the beginning, stepping back a little bit, is because I actually was involved in a program called Teen Challenge, which is a one-year faith-based program, and I actually worked there. They sent me to Bible college. I became a minister. And their program is the most successful program in the world because it's one year long. And, yes, God is a key component in that because you really establish what's right and wrong in life, and we know the drugs and alcohol are wrong. Um, when, it, when they have negative consequences, but, but it's that length of time that allows the brain to heal because all we're doing in treatment now is talking to the wound. We're talking to the brain, and that's, we go to one-on-one therapy and big book studies and 12-step meetings and group and one-on-one and this and that, and we're not healing the brain. We, the whole medical side of treatment is missing. The neurotherapy component, IV components, um, infrared sauna, hyperbaric chambers, all the things that actually heal your body and your brain are not part of treatment. And there's a few people jumping on board now and doing this. They're not, they can't bill for it, and I commend them for it because they're doing it for the good, not for the dollar. So there's right. a lot to be said about that. I agree. And, and also what I'm finding, because I've been doing this for six years now, and that you have to be really careful when you start introducing trauma therapy into um, a treatment plan. The person really needs to have a good six or seven months clean before they can start to address the trauma. Otherwise, they end up going out and using again because those feelings and emotions come back, and it's not, they haven't been sober long enough. Yeah, yeah, EMDR, uh, eye movement desensitization reprocessing is a key component in trauma therapy. It's one of the best out there. But like you said, you have to be really, it's really important on when you implement that kind of a treatment protocol because it does bring up a lot, a lot of that. When you peel that onion, there's so much that you go through and, and it could cause people to relapse. So I agree with you. Yes. Yeah, we just started implementing in our county the EMDR, which has been wonderful. A lot of our clients love it. And then we also work with um, Dr. Von Steef in Concord, who's an addiction specialist, to uh-huh. help our clients get on the right kind of medications. And then also when they're ready to quit, also he helps them get on Suboxone um, or, you know, the um, MAT, the appropriate MAT treatment. Well, and MAT programs really, really effective. Well, MAT programs are, are, they they do work. They work for the chronic relapser and and like Suboxone. I don't agree with methadone, but Suboxone is amazing because it does stop people from using again. But there's other products out there like Vivitrol, and yeah. um, and there's other companies. The company, a pharmaceutical company called Tonics Pharmaceutical, that actually is non addictive and non-narcotic uh, drugs that actually work the same way. But they're not, let's face it, Suboxone is synthetic heroin. That's all it is. So you're maintaining right. yourself on, on heroin, but you're not going to run the risk of overdosing. 
and dying right. from the, because fentanyl is so prevalent in, in in all drugs now, not only heroin but drugs across the board. But MAT programs are successful and they're growing. And uh, one of the biggest ones is Clean Slate Addiction that I know of, and they're all over the country now. But um, anything to curb the death rate, um, for, but I just don't believe in using one drug to get, you know, having someone main maintenance programs where people are on drugs to stay clean. Right. I agree with you. I'm not all for the um, methadone treatments either. It's just like right. transferring one to another. Yep. Can I ask you guys something? I wanted to ask what, how prevalent are these, um, you know, these treatments you're talking about in the prisons, because that's a really big issue. The incarcerated, you know, addicts, and when they get out, I mean, how many prisons are utilizing this? Is it still still very sparse? Yeah. I mean, from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and it's not enough is done. You know, let's face it. This is a this is a, everyone looks at things from a money making perspective, and prisons are given grant money and county money and state money to implement drug uh, treatment programs in them. But I've been there. I've spoken to people in these programs, and they're really not much of a program at all. I mean, they get together for an hour or two a day, and and when you start implementing an MAT program, yeah, then you're going to have success rates because these people are coming out, and they're, you know, like you were talking about, your dad was clean for how many years before he relapsed and died? When people have a addiction is going to be with you for the rest of your life and everyone runs the risk of relapsing and when you have that much clean time under your belt you don't have to have fentanyl and heroin if you do it you're going to do it so much that you're going to overdose and die anyway so i mean we have to realize that when people go to prison for a period of time and they're in there i don't care how much counseling you give them they're susceptible to using again when they get out and if they use after having that much clean time they're going to die yeah so you're suggesting yeah. using the MAT program? Absolutely. For okay. I mean, to start, it, yeah, I it. start them off on a MAT program and then wean them off <laughs> so they can live a normal life again with no drugs. Got it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, Karen, you know I want to thank you so much. I don't know if you're super busy and you have – do you have to leave or can you stay? I do have to leave. I have somebody that just showed up and is in the waiting room for me right now. But thank you so much for inviting oh, me Karen to be on Ann, the show. Oh, Karen, thank you so much for calling in. I love you to pieces. Thank and, you, Michael. Um, you're awesome, Karen. Keep doing what you're doing. God bless you. Thank you so much. You as well. All right. Take Bye-bye. care. Thank Bye-bye. You. She is just She's incredible. A- I'm so proud it's- of her. It's, it's people like her that are going to make a difference, Donna. It's people that are proactive out there. Yes, I know, well, and you. As a matter of fact, the last time my son was in jail, you know, he was in there for a misdemeanor, so they didn't keep him. And my mom had, as it, my mom's an attorney as well, and so she went down there to see him, and she went and saw someone at the prison and said, you know, hey, what kind of programs do you have for, um, uh, you know, these prisoners, and they don't have anything. And so we tried to keep him there, but he got fed kicked, which is, I, I don't know if you know what that is, but because of the overcrowding in the prisons and the jails in California, if someone's in there for a misdemeanor, they won't keep them there. They don't know when they're going to get out. They just get kicked out of the jail. Right. So yep. a lot of the prisoners going in with addiction will choose the time rather than something out than going to a program because they know they're going to get kicked out of there early and go back out on the street. Right. Right. 
I agree. But you know what? We're overlooking so much. Here we are talking to people that already have addiction issues. And Donna, you know as well as I do that the the best way, not the only way, but the best way to fight this is by nipping it in the bud. And that's the part that we're really missing out on. And what I'm getting to is this. We took drug, drug education out of schools. We took sex education out of schools. We need to re-implement drug programs in schools. We have to reach yes. the adolescents. Because once, if we can nip it in the bud then and show them the dangers and not – because a lot of kids – glamorize, you know, drug use and drinking and partying on the weekend. And, oh, I did some coke and we had such a good time. What will it lead to if they don't know how bad it is? We need to, re- we, we, we need to reach the younger generations now. And there's, if you really look at it, probably less than 10% of all the treatment programs in the United States are geared toward adults, not kids. Think about it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Children are our future. Yeah, exactly. And the problem is, like, we're, you know, it's like one of these things today I saw on the news. I I was totally blown away. But it was a new cafe in West Hollywood that opened up called Lowell Cafe, and it's a farm-to-table restaurant. with It's a legal cannabis cafe. And I was shocked to see the plume of smoke that was above all the people eating. And the people in there said, you know, the food tastes better when you consume cannabis, and they were laughing and said, hopefully people will consume more food from getting that high, known as the munchies, and um, yep. we can make more money. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. How dangerous is this? Oh, it's very dangerous. It's a gateway. I mean, let's face it. Some people think alcohol is a gateway to drug use, and so is, so is marijuana. But here's the problem with that. They're finding so many medicinal purposes for marijuana that really work i mean hemp is right. hemp is an amazing product when used the right way but there's so people are thinking hey if i smoke marijuana i'm not going to get this disease and that disease and so on and so forth and maybe it will be a, you know it will be a precursor for them not getting certain diseases but they're justifying getting high when it should be used right. for medicinal purposes only and that's the problem. I, I, there's even a treatment center down here. In, oh, well, not down here. I'm not in Florida anymore. But in Florida that uses marijuana as one of their recovery components. It's a, 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 it's a marijuana-based treatment program for opiate oh, Wow. Yeah. Wow. It's just it, amazing me, what they like, have out there. Now, you've yeah, been – I also want to talk about you, you've had a trip to Washington to see a couple of times because you're trying yeah. to make some changes. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on with you each time you come to Washington, D.C.? Well, first of all, my heart goes out to not only adolescents, like I said, but vets because I, I know a lot of people that are vets, and they're, they're not provided the right care that they deserve. These guys put their lives on the line. I don't have to get into the whole thing, but they deserve proper treatment, and they weren't getting it. And basically, if you look at it across the board, people aren't getting it, but there's certain things that I tried to change. For example, insurance companies only want to pay for 30 days of treatment at the most. They want to pay for certain protocols that are evidence-based, well, that are standard in the industry. It's so cookie-cutter, but they're all psychological-based programs, clinical-based programs, not medical, like something called NAD, which is nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, which... It's an IV therapy that works. It rejuvenates your cells and stops. It's an automatic detox. Um, and other things like neurotherapy, which actually bounces your brain waves out. 
And there's a few places out there, and I'm getting, I was trying to, you know, you can scream from the mountaintops, but trying to get the attention of the right people and say, look, certain protocols should be mandatory in treatment. And there's like, there's a new detox opening in Florida called Inspire in West Palm Beach that does everything a detox should do. As a matter of fact, this kind of a detox protocol that they have at Inspire, if you go through that, you probably won't even need treatment. You could go to an IOP program or counseling. And then, you know, there's some programs that implement really good programs. Like I was, I mentioned retreat before, retreat behavioral health. And, and adolescent programs like Safe Landing or Evolve in California that are making a difference. And I want them to be recognized for what they're doing. And that led me to doing the events I do, like the one I did in D.C. and now the one coming up in um, – in Las Vegas on October 25th. Um, I think all of you were talking about adult children, and that's what this is about. On October 25th, I was asked, asked to partner up with a family called the Siegel. It's the Siegel family. Jackie and David Siegel own all the Westgate resorts, and they had a daughter named, um, her name was Victoria. And Victoria died of a heroin overdose three years ago because the first responders didn't have Narcan. So if they did have Narcan, she would have lived. But, but Victoria, they're a very wealthy family, billionaires, but they overlooked what their daughter was going through. It was right under their nose. And parents need to see the signs. They need to see what kids are going through and recognize that their kids need help and not sit back and try to solve it themselves, but call people like you, like me, that are trying to make a difference and know what kind of programs to get them into. What kind of signs should those parents be looking for? Well, of course, uh, complacency, not going, their grades dropping, not going to school, their attendance, um, going, to, you know, going to parties all the time, um, their health, you know, if they get sick uh, more often than they normally would because addiction definitely, you know, the standard thing is, oh, I don't feel good, I have a cold coming on. And that's not a cold. It's just they're using and they're hungover or they're using and they're craving more. So it's, um, I mean, the signs are readily available, but parents don't want to recognize them because they're too busy in their own lives or they don't want people to know that their kids have a drug problem. Right, right. My other question, too, is, uh, and I know there's a lot of people listening um, from a group that I'm with, and they have um, their adult children that are addicts. One of the hardest things that I ever had to do was to let my son go and completely let, let him go and do his thing. And every once in a while he would call in and check in, and then sometimes he disappears. Sometimes, he, you know, he'll, I'll get a text from some random phone number. What advice would you give these parents that are going through kind of what I'm going through? Uh, is that true? Donna, that's so hard. You know, is that a loaded question? Talks, <laughs> yeah, well, you know why? Because everyone talks about tough love, and you know, you have to totally cut them off. But these are our kids; these are the, the children that we bounced on our knee and we played ball with, and so on and so forth. And look, yeah. and it was very public what I did with my daughter. It got to the point where I called her out. You, a lot of people can't do that, but I did. I, I mean, I went out there and said, "Hey, my daughter needs help." She's out there going nuts, and she hated me for it, but it was the only way to force her into treatment. But, you know, 
you do you sometimes you have to just let go and let God. And it's hard. Look, we know that when they call in they're desperate, no mom, I just need money for food or I need or dad I need money for food. They're probably gonna use that food for drugs. I mean, if the best thing to do is say, Look, I'll help you and I'll support you but the only way I'll do that is if you get treatment. I'll help you getting treatment, but I'm not going to help you sustain this life you're living. I'm not going to enable you. Um, yeah, it's, it's just really hard because I feel, you know, our, our children, you know, what we don't look at is some parents or uh, even husbands or wives say, I hate my spouse or I hate my kid or the kid says I hate my parents. You don't hate your parents or your spouse or your kids. You hate the addict. The person you brought into this world and you love is still there underneath. Right. It's just right. a shell of a person you're dealing with now. That person that you want to embrace and you cried with and nurtured when they were sick is still there. The person you took your vows with that you loved incredibly is still there. But it's underneath this addict that, that we don't know. And we, we if we want it, if we want to dig deep enough, we'll find that person again, but it's only through, you know, through engaging them in a different way than we're used to by enabling them that we'll find that. Right. That's, that's wonderful. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. And um, now you talk about things that uh, we can do to change, you know, we've got this such a huge drug epidemic in our country. What can all of us do as individuals to bring awareness and help stop this. I mean, what what can all of us do to help someone like you? Be more vocal about it, like you you are. Get on social media, and you know, well, one the most important thing is break down the stigma. Everyone feels like they have to hide what's going on. And I'll give you a great example. When I opened up one of my treatment centers, which was a great treatment center, and unfortunately I I sold out because my my partners who said they cared about clients cared more about money, and I told them just buy me out. When we were getting our license, there was a community meeting, and they tried to stop us from opening. And there was a gentleman uh, from the community, gated community across the street, that said, I don't want you people across the street. Our, our community is at risk from your people. I said, wait a minute. Just a few minutes ago, you were talking about your kids going through their own addiction problems. They were living in your community while they were active in their addiction. I said, my people are, are under 24 hours, seven day, day a week security, and they're, they're watched and they're, you know, they have, they're in a program. How are they a danger to you? But that stigma of people being addicts is really hurting us. We have to realize that this is affecting almost every family in the United States. I don't care what anyone says. Five years ago when I spoke publicly, if I asked a room full of 1,000 people, how many people in here have an addiction problem or they have a member in their family or a friend that has an addiction problem, maybe 30% would raise their hand. If I ask that question now, 90% raise their hand because it's so Easily. prevalent. yeah. Yes, Easily. and it's affecting everybody. So break down that wall. Let's talk about it. Let's get out there and say, I need advice. I want to help. What can I do? And if there's some kind of community activity against addiction, get involved in it because the masses are going to overpower the addiction after a while. We're going to be able to – there's only so much we can do about the fentanyl coming in. The fentanyl is killing everyone. It's not heroin. It's fentanyl. Heroin causes people to overdose, but they don't die, and that's bad enough. 
but people are dying because of fentanyl. And I think that's something us as a community can't do anything about it on the government level with it. Look, if we can stop bombs coming into this country, if we can stop so – why can't we stop fentanyl from coming into the country? I don't get it. But, right, yeah, I don't either. I, I don't either. I just and, – and it's scary. It really is. It's a scary thing. They're putting it in marijuana now, Donna. They're putting it I in – know, in, it's in, awful. In, in, and opiate and pills from doctors. They're making bootleg pills and Xanax and every, even in, in vaping now they're putting it. It's, it's horrible. But, I mean, the best way for us all to make a difference is get more involved and talk about it. And if, you know, if you can, if you're in a position to, you know, go to events like we're having, get out there and talk about it. We have, at our event, we have probably close to 80 tables sold already. And, a lot of the people there, because it's David and his wife, are parents that lost their kids. And right. by getting involved and, and you know, be, that becoming more viral in the community, that's how we can make a difference. Now, do you have a website for this event coming up? Can anyone go? This is, is this open? Anyone can go. It's a black tie affair, but anyone can go. I mean, we have James Carroll, who's Donald Trump's drug czar, is coming. The, uh, the Surgeon General is coming. I have Dion Warwick uh, performing again. I have, um, oh, my God, we have so many. I mean, people are on major sports teams and uh, got Fortune 400 companies. They're all coming. But, regular, I mean, regular citizens are coming, too. The, all you have to do is look up Victoria's Voice Foundation and our event October 25th at the Westgate Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. And um, it's going to be an amazing event. As a matter of fact, I'll be the first one to hear this, but we're making a major announcement at 12 o'clock that Damon Elliott, who is Dionne Warwick's son and I, are coming out with a new initiative. It's called Let There Be Light. And we're doing uh, a a music uh, compilation like We Are the World, but for addiction. And we're going to raise millions of dollars for different addiction-related causes. Oh, that's incredible. We have the song down, Dion's on it, um, Gladys Knight is on it, Billy Ray Cyrus, the Oak Ridge Boys are doing it now, um, Maya, uh, we have so many people, jump- I have a meeting with Billy Joel coming up again, uh, we have so many people jumping on board to do this, and their their hearts in, they don't want to even get paid for it, they just want to be on the soundtrack, because We Are The World raised over $144 million for for humanitarian relief in Africa. We have a bigger problem in our own backyard that's affecting more people and more people are dying than any disease in Africa, and we have to do something about it. Well, I, you know what? I want to thank you for all you're doing, and obviously I follow you closely because we're friends. <laughs> but I do yes, like all the things that you are doing. And, and also I would like to invite you back on my military show because I want to get a lot of veterans to listen about what you're doing as well. I think it's super, super important. And that show actually goes worldwide to all the military bases. So I want, um, I want to invite you back probably in the next couple of weeks when you're not so busy. And, I would uh, love to. And I, yeah, I'd love to hook you back on that I'd, one for the veterans. I'd love to do that. And as a matter of fact, I'd love to hook you up with um, with a couple of people from the Gary Sinise Foundation who are working with Ber- Bernie Marcus. They actually opened up a PTSD clinic out in uh, Colorado for vets. 
and they're going to be at our event, but we're working closely with them with that Tonics Pharmaceuticals to get them a new PTSD drug that came out that is showing amazing results for vets with, with trauma. Oh, I would love to know more. Absolutely, 100%. I would love to know more. We're, we're good friends with Gary Sinise. Uh, so, Great guy. I mean, that's a good, yeah, that's a good thing. He's an, he's an incredible dad, but I didn't know about these people in this new drug. So, yes, let's talk further on that. I would love to get them on the show as well. I think that would be fantastic. And I'm going to let you go because I know you're so busy, and thank you so, so much. I appreciate you taking time. You know I want to help end this epidemic as much as you do. So if we keep talking about it, um, I think things could start happening. And I want well, to thank making, my cousin Karen Sheehy, too, for what she's doing as well. Well, keep it all in the family. You guys are doing an amazing job, and I really commend you for – look, your voice is being heard by a lot of people, so you can make a huge difference, Donna, so keep it up. Well, thank you, and I plan on it. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll get through all this together, all of us, so I appreciate it. And, again, uh, one more time, it's Victoria's Voice Foundation and the event – um, in October in Las Vegas. So, people, you can look that up and uh, find out what's going on there. Michael, send- thank you yeah. so, so much. I adore you. I appreciate you. And we will be talking real soon. Likewise. And thank you so much, Donna. God bless you. I love you. You too. Love you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you. Everyone, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you have any questions, you can email me at lionsradionetwork.com and uh, ask any questions you have. Thanks again, everyone. Bye-bye.